today on The Breakdown. It's a hand from the Party Poker 2018 Caribbean main event. And there's a lot of money going on here, people. And there's only five players left. And there's a conundrum for Felipe Oliveira, who's going to be in the big blind. He's going to flop a little something, but he's going to be pretty short. He only has 15 blinds. There's another player at the table who also has 15 blinds. He's up against the chip leader. The board is better for the chip leader for sure, but you flopped a little something. How do you manage this when you're so short? The money jumps become really big. You know, there's $900,000 between fifth place and first place. There's so much money to win still. How do you manage this? We're going to talk about it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. Hey, first time, no rehearsal. I say fuck second take, not his baby scratching on finals until the over the past two or three years, I feel like we've done a lot of tournament spots where at least one player is pretty short. And yeah, on its surface, it sounds like that's going to be less interesting than like a 200 blind deep or a thousand blind deep cash game in Live with the Bike or something. But to me, in, in some ways, there's a, lot, there's a lot more intrigue in these spots, not only because of the, the narrative of the tournament, but also because these are the spots where you really make money over time. Like your whole goal, if, you, if you're a good poker player, plus EV tournament player, is to put yourself in the position to make the big money at the end. And if you can't play these short stack, short-handed spots correctly, where the, the margins are super thin as far as what's correct and what's not, then you're, you're just dusting off your chance at like true success. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird on some levels when you're deeper, you can make much bigger mistakes, right? Cause you can make a 200 blind mistake, which you can't make if you got 15 blinds. But when you make a five blind mistake or a six blind mistake and you have 15 blinds, it's devastating. But when you do it, when you have 200 blinds, it just doesn't matter at all. Right. And so the small, the small uh, marginal pieces really get magnified when you're super short. Right. And, and typically so, you're going to be super short more frequently at the very end of tournaments where the big money is really to be made. Yeah. So these exactly. like paper thin margins are, are hugely important to your poker career earnings. You know, like knowing what to do in these totally. spots is huge. I'm really excited to talk about this hand because at first blush, some of the decisions feel like that can't be right. But as I thought about it more, even just like two or three minutes more, I think it's more complex than just like uh, an at first blush kind of a hand. So I'm excited to, uh, to get into it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little surprised it took us two years to get this suggested to us. Honestly, it's a pretty interesting hand in my opinion. Um, and, you know, with a lot of money on the line, it was suggested by Mike Frederick on Twitter. He, of course, included a YouTube link and timestamped the puppy, which yes. you know, is it's not animal cruelty. It's, it's a figure of speech. Well, for Mike, though, maybe <laughs> well, a little bit know. of both. <laughs> I don't know. He might have taken us too literally and like gotten some sort of a, a stamp at, like you put on postage and put a time on it. I hope, I hope that's all he did. I'm worried about branding, you know, the fire, the heat. Oh dude, no, stop it. They do that to cows. They do. Mike might do that to cows. He might. Mike, tweet at us. Let us know if you like to brand cows in your spare time. <laughs> Mike's like, all I do, I suggested something and now I'm being accused of cruelty to animals. What the now hell I'm just Michael happened? Vick. Now I'm Michael Vick all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. Like, that was pretty unfair. Yeah, like most most people, they especially like Mike Frederick's been around, right? Yeah. So like most people, like Mike Frederick, were like, "So is this guy in the Hall of Fame? Like, what's the story? Where do we think he stands in the pantheon?" Mike, we're like, "So he's doing illegal activities, right? He's harming he's harming cute creatures, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. what he's doing." Well, we don't. Mike believe Frederick just likely. got thrown under the bus by Grant Dennison. All right, uh, to be clear, we don't believe that's likely, and we do appreciate the suggestion. No. Because wow, <laughs> that's likely. Jeez. I can't so, say without 40, a shadow 40, of a doubt. Forty nine percent. It's a 49% at, at best. <laughs> it's like, it's a very high chance that he's not doing these things, but I can't. I 70% know he's probably not doing them. <laughs> 75. <laughs> oh man. Really encouraging. You're killing this guy. Mike, we love your suggestions. Don't yeah, leave we, us, Mike. We appreciate your suggestions and your patronage. And we, we think you're a wonderful man. And, uh, so yeah, to repeat, if you want to suggest a hand for the breakdown, we are the poker guys on Twitter at two poker guys. We won't necessarily accuse you of some heinous crime if you suggest, but we might. Mike, we think you're a wonderful man, but if you could just take care of this one aspect of your personality, 
people, you know, you'd be an even better guy. <laughs> that aspect is, you know, what you're doing <laughs> to the animals. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, that's, that's not fair to Mike. I'm sorry. Mike. Nope. It, sure is it. Sorry that happened to you. All right. Anyway, moving on. Let's see what happens to these players. It yeah. is a, uh, the final table and the money is big. This must have been a very large tournament because fifth place is 600K. This is a 10K buy-in. But the money jumps, which we've talked about before, this, I think this was an experiment that Party Poker did in around this time, 2018, where they would flatten out payouts at the final table where all of the money jumps up until second to first are 200K. And then second to first is 300K. So like fifth right now is 600K, fourth is 800, third is a million, second is 1.2, and first is 1.5. It's really cool. By the way, there were 1,815 entries in this $5,300 event, uh, $10 million guaranteed prize pool. And the total prize pool is actually 9.7. They did not achieve the guarantee, interestingly enough. So there was a little bit of uh, overlay, perhaps. Wow. I thought it was nice. But 5,300. So these guys are really, they've made made more money on their buy-in than I thought. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Super sweet. 120 buy-ins right now. That's pretty cool. But they want more. So yeah, 100, the 150 buy-ins, as bro. Severe, as usual in a five-handed tournament spot because of right. these flatter jumps. But of course, there's still 900k to win. It matters. It matters, but like we often talk about in this spot, particularly like when you're around six players left in a tournament, it's kind of the, it's often the time to gamble. It's often the time to like take big swings to either it's because like the next few spots don't really change anything compared comparatively to third, second, and first where all the money usually is. But because this is not the case, it changes the way we might want to think about how, how we're going to play this end game. So it's, it's kind of cool to like have to figure this out in real yep. time. Yep. And uh, the situation is as such, we have the chip leader on the button, Pascal Hartman. He's got 646 million chips at the 8 million big blind level. It folds to him. He opens with king eight off. Uh, to 16 million, King of Spades, Eight of Hearts. The big blind is Felipe Oliveira, and he is the short stack with 126 million to start the hand. The only other short stack, truly short stack, is Mark McDonald, who has 129 million. We've talked about him before on this podcast, even recently. He's a very aggressive, well-known player. Um, He's almost certainly the best player at the table. Almost certainly, yeah. So Felipe Oliveira, in the big blind as a short stack, has six, seven of clubs, and he's got 15, 16 blinds. Yeah, uh, this is a pretty standard defend when there's a min open, right? I mean, in 2008, yeah. maybe it was a shove or a fold, but now it's a clear defend. Because it's a min open, I agree. If um if it was a bigger open, we could consider deciding to move in. Like, how but big? I think for how big would it have to be for you to? Yeah, say I don't know. I was thinking like two and a half x. Maybe we might we might be a little bit more inclined to take a shot even that half a blind. I don't know if it's really worth it. It's so easy to defend with this hand and we can protect our stack without having to go bust a lot. Yeah, I mean, we have 16 nice. blinds still. There's really no need to shove with seven yeah. high. Like you're right. We can just, you, we don't have a blocker. There's, and it's because it's, even if it was 12 million instead of 8 million, it's really okay to call, see a flop. The thing is we have to have a plan for what we want to do on, on flops here. Right. Because we're so short. And as we're saying, the payout is different than normal. We're going to have to like, you know, figure this out. How do, what do we want to do here? Like traditionally we'd be very aggressive if we flop anything, right? Uh, looking to check raise almost all the time. We actually had a, you and I had a big talk about this kind of situation very recently on another one of our breakdowns. We were talking about, uh, uh, Simonow. Is that, nope. You know what I'm talking about? The, from the six max five K the two yeah, Winamax players. Find it. It was Felipe Calamusa, came. Nope, no. Pierre Calamusa and Jao Vieira. Thank God you found it. Um, those two guys were Pierre Calamusa defends with, I think it was Queen Deuce suited or Queen Four suited, something like that. And, uh, and calls, calls like a very, very small open from Jao and then check calls on the flop when he's got like 14 blinds or something like that. And we got into a big talk about if that's a good play or not. And, I was saying I really expected him to be check shoving there and was really surprised he didn't. And you didn't think that was necessarily optimal. This is different though, because the payout is completely different. That may change it a little bit. It may, it may. It's also, it also depends on, go ahead. Spoiler alert. It's a different type of flop for a different type of hand, which like, of course, obviously change the debate also, you know, no, I was just going to say that same thing. Yes. Yeah. That matters um, too. So let's get into it. Yeah. So 
These guys are the guys involved in the hand because Felipe Alvarez does defend with six, seven of clubs with his 126 million. Um, just thinking about it from an ICM perspective and everything. Sure. It's more flat. You might want to protect your stack a little bit more at this stage than usual. Uh, also though, like it's pretty big to get first. That's like a big deal. 1.5 million is a big difference in 600 K. So, so swinging for the fences isn't crazy still. Um, and you know, and we're talking about like it's standard to defend here and it is, but you've got a really good three bet shove stack and a hand that, you know, can take some heat. Like if you get called does okay, at least does better than some other hands when called, you know, obviously you'd rather have, there's, there's better hands to do this with, but like, it's not crazy at all to attack the, the chip leader button opening range, which could be infinite, you know, and just like take it down right now. Like, a lot of the time and when called, it's not the end of the world because we this have a hand that at least of hand does okay. least like a shove with at this stack depth in this situation. It's a hand that can still play well post flop at the stack depth has a lot of check raises in it and also has no blockers to anything we want to block pre-flop. So I, I don't disagree. I think those are really good points at the same point. If we're up against a insanely wide range of the button, seven, six is like playable and playable is often good enough to shove. I think. I don't know. I feel like if, if we're going to have hands that we never shove in this spot, then maybe we don't. But if we were to, this would be one of them for me, this type of hand. I will say this, dude. So we have 16 blinds. There's four and a half blinds just sitting out there. That's more than 25% of our stack would be increasing if we move in right now and he folds. Like, I know, but this that's is like, pretty uh, good. It is, but like, also, you can only have, you have 15 blinds if you call and lose. And yeah, you know, you're still that's on the, the other side of it. And yeah. that, what you just described is kind of the, like, and not to say that it's necessarily wrong because it's old, but that's kind of the 2008 theory, right? Of why people were either shoving or folding here. And under that theory, it doesn't really matter what your hand is that much, right? Like maybe... No, you, it, of course it matters. Because when, when called, you want to have something that does okay. The kind of hands that are going to call here, 7-6 seven, is, is doing reasonably, is doing better than a lot of other hands are doing, you know? I would guess if you actually put it through the ringer and did the analysis a hand like king eight off like uh pascal hartman's hand is probably doing better against the calling range than six seven suited and plays worse post flop so i'd much rather shove a hand like that i don't know if that's true i'm not sure because the king eight off is going to be dominated much much more often right i mean like, not necessarily is the guy not, i king, guess king queen is king queen's maybe the only hand that's calling there maybe king ace king. of course ace king yeah yeah and, um and then you have an over to all the pairs that are calling either way yes and that is that too. is the big difference, of course. Is but you only have one over usually. Not always, though. Sometimes you have. Sometimes you're in a flip too. Yeah, and of course you have the blocker to the king, which is super yeah. nice. And this hand makes more sense to shove also because it's not nearly as playable, right? Post flop, and so there's that. That said, we have 16 blinds. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of room post flop anyway. <laughs> but you know, we're, okay. we're rarely with seven six. They're going to flop super well. It's okay. We're paying one blind for the privilege when there's already yes. three and a half blinds in there. So we're happy. I think I would default to, to calling here. Don't get me wrong. I think I would, if I was in the small blind, I might shove it. Uh, you can't really call in the small blind. I agree. I think I, I default think towards folding in the small blind mostly in this scenario. It sucks to fold this hand, but I think I'd just fold. I mean, if I felt the big, the button, the chip leader was opening a lot, I would shove. If he was opening every it. button, sure. I would guess he's opening a lot of buttons. He's, he is opening king eight off. I mean, I would, I would. I mean, too. it's hard to know. Like, you're supposed to open king eight off on the button in almost every scenario in poker. Yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, look, they're getting information because this is being live streamed. So they know 30 minutes ago what this guy was doing. So they know how much he's playing. Also, they're sitting at the table. They're seeing, they're seeing his frequencies. If his frequencies are off at all, if he's doing, then I think this is a pretty easy shove from the small blind. Anyway. Sure. But anyway, let's, let's get into the more interesting stuff. All right, he's Which in the big is, He defends. One thing yeah. about the ICM that I did want to bring up is like, uh, if you play a little bit conservatively as Felipe Oliveira, it matters who the other guy with the short stack is, and that's Mark McDonald. That guy is going for the win. I'll tell you what. He is a lot more likely to bust at 16 blinds than the average player. So conserving your stack, if that 200K jump matters to you and you care about it a lot, is kind of interesting in that way as well because of the guy who's the other short stack. It's a really good point. Really, really good point. I hadn't thought about that at all. That he is the most likely guy to blow up for sure. And sometimes there's coolers anyway, of course. And by the way, the guys in second and third don't have a huge amount of 
chips either. They just have more than we do. There's like a guy with 277 million, which isn't really that much. You know, it's like, like 35 blinds. There's a guy with 377 million or so. So, you know, cool. He's got like 46 blinds or 48 blinds. But like, you know, 35 blinds can go bust for sure. It you know, can. It's usually going to take a couple hands to chop those stacks down, though. Usually not just a one yeah. hit thing. And those stacks are going to be careful a little bit too, right? They're going to, they're trying not to get themselves in spots where they go out right now with these two shorter stacks around. Right. So anyway, all of that in mind, we head to the flop with 44 million in the pot. We've got the button, Pascal Hartman, the chip leader with King eight off and Felipe Oliveira, the short stack, 16 blinds with six, seven of clubs. And the flop is one of those interesting flops. That's going to make it tough to know what to do with the six, seven of clubs. It's the ace of hearts, the five of clubs and the jack of clubs. So good news, bad yeah. news, right? Like you have a clear range disadvantage from a traditional perspective. Maybe not if this guy's opening literally everything on the button, but still you don't have a range advantage because you didn't shove preflop. You probably have a range disadvantage even if he's opening everything because you don't have as many. I think you've got a range. pretty clear range disadvantage. Like you have almost no aces, right? Like you're yeah. shoving a lot of your aces here, right? He has all the aces. If he's not opening everything, he's opening all his aces for sure. You have maybe zero aces, maybe a few, but most of your aces are shoving. You certainly don't have ace-jack. You certainly don't have any sets. I guess maybe you can have ace-five or jack-five suited. Those are the only really strong hands I think we can have. Most of the time, for most players, that is the case, yeah. So this is going to be interesting, I think, this flop discussion. Because um, Flippy yeah, is going to check. Flippy sure. is going to check. It, makes, it, would, it seems completely whack to lead on this board, right? We have to check. Imagine how bad it is if we lead and get shoved on. We have to fucking fold. I know. That would be horrible. So Felipe does check, and Pascal, in the same way, kind of has to bet this board, right? I mean, King High does have showdown value, but do we really want to play this for showdown value when we could just take it down so frequently? I mean, we're the big stack. Of course we're going to bet this board. We're probably betting any board, quite frankly, but this board especially... And when you look at Mark, McC- Mark McDonald's got a short stack too. By betting this, we're putting pressure right now on Felipe to say like, do you want to be the, you want to become the guy who's the real short stack? Like you should fold, bro. Like, yeah, like don't put do you, chips I mean, in. Like, if you're playing well, you probably are supposed to call with hands like four or five of diamonds on this board if you're Felipe. But like, it doesn't feel good in this scenario to call with bottom pair and no real redraw or anything, you know? Like, I mean, it doesn't feel good at all feels horrible right i might just fold to like preserve my stack because i feel like the big stack can just push me around it's gonna be so easy to bluff me down the road in this hand you know like they blow on the pot i'm gonna have to fold later unless i improve and it's hard to improve with five outs and it just such a range disadvantage like i wasn't really if i had four or five of diamonds i wasn't really calling to hit a five on an ace jack high board you know i might just throw it away just another argument for this being a mandatory c bet for yeah. Pascal. Yeah. Which he does. He bets 14 million, goes a little small, which makes sense, even though it's a wet ish board. He has a severe range advantage. So makes sense. He could go smaller. He could bet 10 million on this. I don't know, even know, think he needs to bet 14. Yeah, but 14's fine. It's not like bad. Yeah. But it's fine. So here's an interesting thought now for Felipe. Like, how do you proceed? Because immediately there are competing philosophies running through my mind. Um, yeah. One is about more GTO stuff in, in my story. And one is about what's practically easier to do and what feels more right in this moment. And like my gut tells me the, the non theory part of me tells me like, I want to raise, I just want to make this easy on myself. Right? Like one, I can win right now, which would be pretty big deal for me Two, If I raise the plan is clear. I'm just never folding. You know, it's, it's easy to proceed. And, uh, and this also supposed to bet this board, but yeah. then there's the other side of me, which is like, well, I'm never supposed to have any check raises on this board. Like, how am I supposed to have value on this board in this spot? Like, the story sucks. It's terrible. I mean, we could, we could have an ace, which we called with, and are now check raising all in with. It's not impossible. I mean, that seems like um, a horrible idea. Like, if, if this guy is going to have any wiggle to his waggle at all, this Pascal guy, why wouldn't we just let him barrel away? Well, because we would need to have value if we're going to have some bluffs here, Right. If we it's only ever have draws on a check raise, that's right, a real problem. Like, and we just, we, just, we just laid out how we don't have almost no value. Like there's almost no two pair. We may not have any two pair hands, but maybe we have ace five. Maybe we have jack five suited. I don't think we have anything else. 
So maybe we have some aces that we just called with. And like, if we're going to have check raises with clubs, which is not unreasonable, uh, then we need to have some other values. Like, and the stuff I just said is just not common enough. I don't think like well, jack five suited. That's kind of combos. my point is that like in the first type of thought when I was outlining how it'd be easier to play as a check raise, that's all from practical perspective of how easy it is to play and what the potential outcomes could be for me that make me feel good. But mm-hmm. the reason that doesn't work is because I don't think you can profitably create a check raising range on this board in this scenario. I think it becomes too wide for value. And it also, you, you diminish your ability to really make a lot of money in this hand when you actually have value because the dude's going to fold so often. Let's move beyond that though for a second. I hear all that and I think this is all really good point. And this is one of the competing parts of this, the tension here, right? The other side is just a very like pragmatic, how often do we think we get a fold at a Hartman when we check raise? Like if he's C-betting his entire range, which we think he is, how often is he actually going to fold no matter what he has? Like who cares if he has a pair or not have a pair, if he has deuces and C-bets or if he has you know, you know, six high himself, you know, whatever. Um, just what percentage of the time do we think a raise gets a fold right now? Yeah, that was kind of baked into my first part thing of like making it easier to play, right? Like, because obviously the easiest way to play this is for us to raise and him to fold. That sounds awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, like if he's the guy who's opening literally everything on the button, I think probably it is profitable to check raise, even if it is not balanced in a GTO way. Yeah. Like we I don't think, necessarily I think have it probably to is. in all spots, right? Like it, it would be ideal. Right. But if maybe we found a spot here where like it makes sense not to balance because you're actually plus EV in both scenarios when you check raise seven high flush draws and when you check call with ace 10 or whatever, if you somehow have ace 10, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, this whole notion of being balanced seems like a bad idea against the guy who's going to be like, who's playing seemingly very exploitatively right now. We would yeah. assume anyway, right? Well, like, the, the idea of being balanced is over time, you get to, to grind him to a tiny little nub and he's going to make all the mistakes and you're not going to make the mistakes. But maybe this... But if he's already... If he's not... But if he's making really big... If he's, if he's got too many hands, if he's too wide, then we can just take advantage of that and we take more advantage of it by exploiting, right? Right. right. So I guess the answer to should... Felipe check raise or not cannot be answered by us without us knowing a lot more about Pascal. Like if Pascal is opening like the correct range on the button and is completely balanced and is not going to be exploitable, it's probably a check call because of yeah. the, the way the ICM is structured. Uh, but if he's opening all of the buttons and he's trying to play chip leader bully, it's got to be a check raise, right? I think so. I think it has to be because the other thing that you didn't bring up, which I think matters is by check calling, we make it really hard to get value when we get there. Unless uh, Pascal is going to bluff clubs, which maybe he will. But club, a club would be a scary card for him. And he might, you know, even if he has a pair, especially, you know, like it's going to be hard to get, it's going to be hard to get a big double if we get there Yeah, a lot of the time. So that sucks too. By, by raising now, we get the folds and we also, every time we get there, if we get called, we get the double. I mean, those are two really good outcomes. Both of those are good outcomes, which we'd want to get. And by, if we call instead, we may get neither of those outcomes most of the time, which sucks. Right. Well, maybe Felipe is smelling that 200K money jump and looking over at crazy Mark McDonald and thinking, you're going to blow up, aren't you, buddy? And because he calls, he decides to call. It is super cheap in fairness to him, right? It's super cheap. It's less than two blinds. I mean, the pot is like, I mean, the pot's getting kind of interesting now. There's like nine and a half blinds in the pot or nine blinds in the pot. We only have what, 14 blinds left or something? Yeah. If that, 13 and a half. So it's really hard. This is the other problem with calling is if we don't improve right away, we're going to have to fold on the turn most of the time, right? Like we can't call again. Well, we don't maybe improve. check back. That would be great. That would be fabulous. And then we can bet the river either way, I guess. Or just give but up. Then, we can give up on bad runouts, of course. And like, of course we can give, but yeah, but like, but although if he checks back, we're obligated, I think on clean runouts, you know, on bricky runouts, we should probably bet rivers, try and win this fucking pot. Like we have to try and win this pot. Like we're short. We don't have to, but I think we should. I don't know. I have thoughts about that, but I'll save them for the river. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, I mean, all these things are really interesting and not clear. I think to me anyway. 
Yeah, but what is clear is Nitrogen Sports Poker Room, they have uh, no pixelation. They know? are, the resolution on that site is so amazing. It's, it's like, just, you know, there you get 8K TVs. This is like 24K, yo. 24K magic. That's what you'll get <laughs> at Nitrogen Poker. If you use the link in the description of this podcast, when you sign up for Nitrogen, you get access to our exclusive Poker Guys listeners and viewers only monthly tournament where the guarantee is 1,000 times the buy-in and Nitrogen hates money. So they cap the tournament at 300 players, which they don't get to anyway. <laughs> they get to like 180 players during quarantine. And that means there's a ton of extra money on the table for you. You could shove literally every hand and it would probably still be plus EV for you to play this tournament. I mean, it's a fabulous tournament. It's super cheap to play. It's a tenth of a millibit, which is like these days, what, 85 cents or something, depending on, you know, the day and where Bitcoin's at, uh, which is awesome. As Grant's saying, they guarantee a thousand buy-ins. So it's super great. They also have the fastest cash outs in the business, 90 minutes. From when you say you want your money to it being in your wallet, that's incredible. Of course, they also have sports betting. They also have casino games. It's the tits. Yeah, you're probably not supposed to say that anymore, but whatever. We'll leave it in the It's the the (laughs) T-word. It is the T-words, which could be any T-words. Yeah. You could be like thesaurus. It's the thesaurus of poker. (laughs) I mean, that's a compliment, right? Yeah. So cool. Don't you want to be part of that? Thesaurus. That's what we always, that's what we always called the cool football players, you know, in my high school, like that guy's the thesaurus. (laughs) That guy is so awesome. (laughs) We didn't have football players for anything. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. Yep. All right. Back to the hand. So Felipe Oliveira having check called the flop, starting the hand as the short stack with 16 bigs. He flopped a flush draw with six, seven of clubs on the ace of hearts, five of clubs, jack of clubs flop. Not much of a flop for his opponent, Pascal Hartman, the chip leader on the button with king eight off, no clubs in his hand. So So we we decide that we ultimately like a check race here. I think I like a check race, even though we're out of the tournament sometimes. I think I like a check race. We decided it was contingent on Pascal Hartman and... Right. So I guess you decided that that Pascal Hartman is opening all of the buttons for some reason. Right. I don't know why you decided that, but you decided I, that. I decided because he's the chip leader, and, and that's why. Okay. But you're right. I don't. I don't actually know that. So I need. I need. I. But if I'm sitting at the table, I will. I will have known, and it'll. It should be pretty clear. If he's been relatively snug, even as the chip leader, we should probably check call more at the time anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, cool. I default to thinking the chip leader has probably been aggressive. That's a hallmark of, of chip leaders, typically. Yeah. And, uh, and so check raising might be the better option, but it's possible that it's not. It's possible that Hartman is being a little bit more snug and we should not check raise the seven high flush draw. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the turn is the eight of diamonds, which is an interesting card for both hands because Pascal yeah. makes an eight with the top kicker. And of course, now Felipe sitting here open-ended with the flush draw. I mean, it's a weird spot. We've got, what, like 13 blinds, and the pot's got like nine blinds in it. (sighs) Weird things could happen right now. You know, like, what if we check and he bets big? Do you think we should fold? A lot of times people size up the turn. What are we supposed to do? Are we just going to fold? I mean... That's not a... Doesn't seem like the greatest plan. Should we just... I mean, that seems terrible, but shoving does seem terrible. I mean, he's going to call with a jack, right? If we shove, like, it's just like, I don't know if he's going to call with it. I don't know. I'm not sure what he's going to do. Like if we check rate, I don't know if he's calling with a jack or not. This again goes back to the player where like some players are going to fold the jack pretty easily. Some players are going to call. It also depends on our image. Of course, the fact that we check called this makes me think our image is probably going to be a little bit tightish. It's super weird to suddenly just shove the turn. He's obviously calling with any ace. Um, I don't know if he's calling with a jack or not. He's not going to like it. No. But we have 33% equity when called most of the time. Like, so that's, it, it can't be that bad to just close your eyes and shove. It can't, I mean, we could also go for a check raise here, but I don't, I mean, are we going to check call again? He's going to bet four blinds. We're going to check call and have nine back. I mean, no, I, I like a check shove here. Okay. Like pretty much no matter the sizing, it's our hand is 
we've turned a card that we marry the pot, you know, like too bad. If, if the odds are not exactly in our favor, I think sometimes you just have to go with it. What if he just moves you in? I don't know. I think I fold, but like, yeah, I, th- I think you have to fold, but if he bets pot, I think I'm just going to move in for the 30 million extra and hope that he has like a complete bluff and folds. Like at least there's a, a modicum of hope. It looks super strong. Yeah. I mean, if he, bets, if he just bets 70% of pot, which is more like what is happening on the turn a lot when people size up now, like usually. Sometimes they go pot also, I guess. But yeah, like moving in for that much looks super strong. It's, it's pretty cool. You might get the folds. You, might, you actually might fold out a hand. Like a jack hates its life when you do that, right? It's yeah. like, it probably isn't going to size. A jack isn't going to size up like that. Though. A jack's probably going to check back most of the time. Right. Um, or maybe bet small because it's like you don't have any aces, right? And so I can just bet a jack here, a good jack here. And, but I don't want to blow you off the hand. I'm trying to get called by worse jacks and other things. So, But a jack probably checks back. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like a check with the plan of check shoving. And, you know, on, on rivers that don't look horrible, they aren't like pairing the ace or the jack. I'm probably going to be betting those rivers. Mm-hmm. Or if, of course, if we improve then we'll bet. I think that's probably right. Also, we mostly, I think we would expect uh, Pascal to bet small here. Like maybe he's going to bet four blinds, which means we actually have fold equity. You know, four blinds are pretty reasonable turn bet if he decides to bet. By the way, if he bets an even a bad ace, if he decides to bet a bad ace and we get, and we shove on him, he may call, but he's not going to like it. He's going to think about it. It's like, I have a bad ace. Like, what is, what are you shoving with? Like, I mean, it looks a it's lot hard like to put Jack, him on much of it. Looks like Jack eight or five eight. Yeah, Jack eight especially. I feel like Jack eight is the is the best, the best cop. You know, well, he would probably play any five eight suited combo, which admittedly is only two, but he would play play those that this way. You would think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, again, like it's it's weird to call bottom pair in this spot on the flop. You maybe you feel obligated to. Yeah, I, I mean, you just might, but you're so worried about getting blown off, blown off it on the turn. But like Jack Eight clearly has to call the flop. Yeah. Like, there's no choice. Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know what he does with a Jack or a bad Ace. I assume he calls with an Ace, but it's not a guarantee. I mean, it looks like you want to be called, right? I mean, it looks like you're trapping him. By the way, if you get called in most scenarios, you have like a chance to win. You know, like you don't. You maybe sometimes you're against like King Ten of Clubs and you're pretty screwed. But like, I mean, you're open ended at least, and you, can, so. and you can hit your pairs against that hand. Yeah, no, you're 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 in good shape almost always. There's a few really bad stuff, right? There's the uh, the Ace X of clubs where it's the uh, Ace Nine the of clubs, Ace the Ace Eight of clubs, the Ace Eight of clubs. That's the one. No, Ace Nine of clubs. No, because the the Eight kills all the pair outs. Call six, kill six cards if he's got ace eight of clubs because he has. Oh, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need the eight. You're right. No. The ace nine of clubs is better. You're right. You're yeah. right. Ace nine and ace four. That only kills clubs. one extra card anyway. The, the nine only kills one extra out anyway. It's, it's, not, it's not that bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, none of this comes to fruition because it goes check, check. What do you think about Pascal's check back? He has made the eight. Do you think he should continue betting basically to get the guy off a of jack? Like, that would be the intention, right? It wouldn't be for value. Um, I mean, my inclination would be to check an eight here for sure. Uh, it's, we may not be able to get the guy off a of Jack anyway. I mean, it's hard to think of what we're beating unless it's a five, which we're not going to get value from right now. No, nope. I want to check back and get value from a five later or, or maybe if the guy somehow has clubs, like it turns out he does, maybe he'll bluff the river. I don't think we're getting value from a five later. Are you really going to bet on a deuce river with King eight for value? Um, probably not. No, I'd be too worried about a Jack get a calling. I would just check it back. You're right. You're right. Can't really get value there. Uh, we would need, we would need the board to help us out to bet again. See, I think I agree that my initial inclination is to check back, but upon thinking about it, I think I prefer a bet. I think like fall out of are- Jack. Yes, to fold out a jack and to charge the draws. Because if this guy is playing flush draws like this, which is reasonable to assume that some players are, if they know what they're doing, and this board is such an extreme range advantage for the button, 
it makes sense to check call flush draws. Like betting accomplishes two things. We can put a lot of pressure on a jack and we can effectively fold out flush draws if we size it correctly. Unless of course the check shoves on us, which would suck, but we're not sure. Mm-hmm. The, one of the, I mean, the biggest question that we just don't know the answer to is does Felipe have any aces here? Yeah. You know, cause he's not going to fold an ace. We cannot put enough pressure on to fold an ace here. I don't think. The worst ace like in the his, world. He's gonna gonna have to call the combination of, in my mind, Felipe's most likely holding being a jack, and the fact that Pascal has such a massive range advantage makes me want to take the showdownable hand and turn it into a bluff. Hmm. You feeling my vibes? Any any there, Lovey? I feel your vibes. I I mean, I think it really is super player dependent, you know. And I I, I really need to know our image, and we need to know uh, Felipe's image too, right? Like yeah. if. Felipe makes a lot of hero calls. I don't think we should do it. If Felipe seems to be tightish or care about the money at all, which if we looked at his Hendon mob, we would think he cares about the money. Like yeah. he has not had like significant scores um, coming to this event. Neither player has had significant scores coming right. to this event. In fact, I assume everybody Hendon everybody before the final table for an event like this. I would assume. So that would be a reason to bet actually to be like, do you really want to give up your shot at 200 K right now? And, and fold out the jack because if Felipe was Mark McDonald, I would not take the shot. I don't think. I think I would just no. check because yep. I'd be like, this guy is, he's just going to hero me too much or make a play or whatever. It's not worth it. Who cares? Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I am feeling you actually on the, on betting a jack. You mean an eight? An eight. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Betting well, an eight. Pascal does. It's check. weird. I- what, what value are we betting? We're betting there's not much value. I guess it just doesn't matter. As right? Pascal, we're betting any big ace. Any big ace. We don't have very many big aces, though. Why when not? you think about all the hands we're going to bet twice with, because when we're betting an eight, we're basically betting our entire range. That is like weaker than yeah. an ace, right? And a jack. Yeah. It's, so it's, like we're wildly unbalanced. We're insanely table, unbalanced. We're final table bullying yeah. the short stack who has no scores. It's awesome. Right. You should do yeah. that. Yeah, I think we should do that, too. That just works a lot. Yeah. Just you just buy pots. Absolutely. Like I hope you're not I hope you're not trapping. <laughs> well, an eight, I have a few outs probably, even if you are, right? You don't have any sets. I absolutely like this is important. If if people are listening and have not multi-dayed in tournaments or have and haven't been looking at Hendon's when they post the the players at your table, it's important. Like day three of the World Series event that I final tabled, I hand in my table. And there was like a clear delineation between the players that I was going to make moves against and the players I was not going to make moves against. And I actually mm. applied it at my first table that day when there were like 24 players left. That's I, cool. Yeah. Like I actually check raised a guy. I'm like, this guy is folding unless he really fucking has it. And another guy, I had like a perfect check raising spot, but I was like, this guy is calling with anything. I am not check raising him and like really changed my plans. That's interesting. You know, I used, I, I did that too for, I'm just thinking about monster stack, uh, I guess that was that was last summer at the World Series. Yeah, last summer. Yeah, the Monster Stack last summer, um, where it was day three, and I had in my table, and I had a guy who actually had like over a million in winnings and had a WPT final table. But maybe it's because I just watched him play a little bit for the first orbit. But I saw that he was kind of a psycho, and so he raised me on a flop, and I just I had ten high. I had a draw. I mean, I had a nice draw. Don't get me wrong, but I like was excited that he raised me. So I could three bet the flop, you know, and like he folded instantly and stuff like that. And I was like so happy. And like some of these other guys doing that would be a real problem. But like, you know, some of these guys, when they raise the flop, are just going to have it every time. Right. It's, I mean, I'm talking, all about- right, I guess we're just flipping, you know, I knew I had fold equity with this guy, like real fold equity. But it is different when you're talking about a time when there's like hundreds of players left in the tournament and the ICM is kind of minimal at the, at the time. The yeah. psychos are going to be psychos. And like, mm-hmm. but later in a tournament when the money jumps get real is when like you can really push around the people who don't have the, the scores as much, you know? That's a very good point. You're totally right. And, and to, to your point also, like I'm just thinking back, one of my first WSOP caches way back in the day was a $1,500 event. This is like in, I don't know, 2008 or something like that, 2009. And I had cashed a few times in WSOP events. And we were coming right up to the bubble. We were like 40 minutes away from the bubble. And the guy on my right turned to me and said, Jonathan, 
I really want to cash. <laughs> and like, and he called it all in with jacks at one point, And he turned to me, he's like, that was really hard for me. He's like, I know that would be easy for you. That was really hard for me. And it was like, not a big all in. It was like an easy, but it was for his life. You know, it was like a 15 blind shove or something like that. And like, he basically said, like, if I don't really, really, really have it, I'm just not going to put chips in the pot right now. You know? And it was like, that was great to know. And I remember actually, we got, we had a number of blind on blind confrontations where I just destroyed him because I had position and I could just hurt him because he did things like, like I would raise pre, he would call, he would check raise the flop and I would just three bet them all in and he would fold. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's he going to do? Like he needs to have it so strongly. And he just, he just didn't, he'd raise pre flop. I would have, I remember one time I had deuce three of clubs and I just shoved, <laughs> you know, and he folded a pocket pair. He showed a pocket pair and folded. And I was like, yep. Yeah. So. It's great when they tell you. Um, my yeah, first World Series of Poker Trip was back in 2012. And I went with uh, our friend Robert Brewer. We played the same events. And uh, he was on the bubble of, of the event we both happened to cash in that year. He, he final tabled it, actually. But the guy at his table said, I am not playing anything but aces on the bubble. And yeah. he got folded to in the small blind and folded ace king face up. Like sometimes they'll just be that obvious. It's just amazing yeah the and i gotta say yeah like it's one thing to decide to play that way it's another thing entirely to tell all of your opponents whose job it is to take your chips that you're doing it and show them that you're really doing it you know like just to tell one other super quick story i remember playing in an 1100 uh wsop main event satellite and we were getting close to the actual bit where we all got seats we were probably like 15 people away and it was a big it was a big event. So we're probably like a half an hour away or something like that. And the chip leader at our table at one point moved in from the cutoff for a lot. Uh, and the big blind fought for minutes and minutes and minutes. And he had probably like 22 blinds, which isn't enough probably, you know, because the blinds go up so fast in these things. Yeah. Like you have to win pots still. And he thought forever and finally showed Jackson threw them away. And it's like, man, you can't show it. Like, first of all, you shouldn't throw it away. But second of all, you can't show Jackson throw it away. Like, are you kidding? And it really emboldened me, who was a short stack, to like move in a lot more when I saw that. Because it's like, this guy is never calling. And I could look around the table and I could tell the table didn't think it was so crazy that he folded Jacks. And I was like, this is pretty good. And I, I got busted at one point, but because someone picked up aces when I had an ace in my hand, you know, and that's, that's like what it was going to take. Like aces are kings, I think. I don't think people were calling with anything else. So yeah, when you know what they're doing, it's so much easier. Now, we don't think that's necessarily the case in this hand <laughs> between these two. <laughs> well, but we don't, we don't know, but, like we're, but we think it's possible that we can push the guy who's never done anything. Neither of these guys have really done anything up to this point um, around when we're the chip leader, though, right? Yeah. Which was the point. Either way, it goes check, check. And just to tell you guys what the board is and everything still, ace of hearts, five of clubs, jack of clubs, eight of diamonds, Felipe in the big blind, the short stack has six, seven of clubs for an open ender and a flush drop. Pascal on the button, the chip leader, has king eight off for a pair of eights. The river is the queen of diamonds. Very disappointing run out for Felipe. Yes, that is not the card we most wanted to see, for sure. Also, not a great card, period. Like, yeah. that hits our opponent's range a little bit, for yeah, sure, little, when he little checks king, back. Queen, little, little queen X. Queen 10. Hands. Queen nine, yeah, just just a queen and whatever. Queen X suited. He's got queens for sure. So should Felipe take a shot? Yes. Well, I mean, I would feel like I should. T I would want to take a shot if I was Felipe. I'm concerned about the story. Uh, the story is terrible. I mean, the story is mostly nine ten, right? You could have nine, nine ten. ten that called on the ace five jack flop. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking that you already had the open or the gutter or open ender, excuse me, but you did not. Never mind. Not nine. We have, we have to have nine ten of clubs. Exactly. That's the only way that story makes sense. I guess it could the be story is what king ten, king ten that calls on the flop when we have fourteen blinds. I think you can call. One. I don't know if it's even going to call. Yeah. What? It's close. It's close. I don't know. I think it. I don't. It's probably not good to call. Honestly, when you're going to be out of position with King 10, four, if you're in position, it's, it's reasonable for like 1.7 blinds, but I think out of position is pretty bad uh, when you're this short specifically. Uh, it's hard to come. The story is really problem. Jack eight, uh, five, eight, maybe ace five, maybe ace eight. Queen Jack. Queen Jack that we, yep. Queen Jack. 
Sure. Queen Jack makes the most sense, actually. Queen Jack's the most believable of everything, right? We were like, Queen, we have two, we're too deep to shove Queen Jack here. We don't need to do it. This hand flops well enough. I'm going to call pre. And then I flop a jack, so I call. And now I'm betting the river because I, I hit my queen. Yeah. I mean, I was betting. I might have bet the river. Anyway. I'm definitely betting the river now. Like, it's an easy bet now. Yeah, we're not really telling a one-pair story if we bet, right? I don't think so. Maybe we have some bad aces, too, that we could, we could bet. Maybe we have ace-deuce, you know? Well, I think Felipe's trying we to tell not to story. Show. I think he is trying to tell a story because he bets tiny. He bets $15 million into $72 million as a bluff. It's kind of interesting. I mean, he's basically just trying to get non-paired hands to fold, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Although a hand like Pascal has, king-8 which is a pair of eights right now, doesn't love the spot. It's not a good spot for an eight, right? It's like, no. don't think you're ahead kind of ever when he bets this much. Nope. So in, in some ways, it's, it's kind of an incredible bet because the eight really can't call or probably shouldn't call. Well, there's another side to it, which is going to be exemplified by our friend Pascal here, yeah. who believes enough that Felipe has marginal value and decides his eight isn't good enough, so he shoves. Pascal moves in yeah. for 104 million effective. And honestly, I think that's a great play. I really like it. I think he's mm-hmm. identified a clear range advantage, knows that Felipe doesn't have that many of these strong value hands. Pascal can absolutely have 910 or King 10, by the way. He can have those hands oh. for sure. Like a hundred percent. He's got King 10 locked in. You know, not a 910, I think even less. I think it's King 10 more than 910, even because he might bet 910 on the turn when he picks up the open yeah, ender might. more of the time. But I could see King 10, him really just checking back. Right. So what Pascal is doing is he's like, your story sucks or, or your story is good enough to show me that you don't actually have a very good hand that can handle a shove. And my story is good enough to tell you that I have a hand that can shove. And so I, I don't like, I think it's actually just a really good play by Pascal. Mm-hmm. Pascal though, also has um, like queens here. Yeah, Pocket queens. Sure. Yep. Queen Jack. So he could have Queen Jack. He absolutely can have Queen Jack. He just has like more stuff. He might have queen eight even. Although yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to shove. I think he can probably oh. shove queen eight for value and still be okay. Yeah. When, when, he, when he gets a bet of 15 million, he could just shove it. thing that's weird is it's hard to get, you have to get called by just an ace. Like you're targeting a bear ace. Or jack eight or five eight. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you're right. Jack eight. Yeah. So I think that's a great play, even though it was unnecessary. Like yeah. he obviously could have just called in one, but... So I, I agree. That feels like a pretty great play and a play that if we, if we have time to think about it, makes sense as a, as a move to make. The qu- let's come back to uh, Felipe though, deciding to bet 15 million here. So in some ways it's cool. Like he actually convinced Pascal that an eight wasn't any good. So it sort of worked. Yeah, but how many eights does Pascal have? <laughs> like, well, but, well, he's trying to just convince Pascal. It's not trying to fold out an eight, right? He's trying to fold out every hand that's better than seven high <laughs> yeah he's trying to pull <laughs> that king isn't high, strong king high type hands exactly king high a five pocket deuces pocket fours whatever you know there's so many things we could potentially fold out we're not folding out a jack we're not folding out a queen maybe maybe in fact uh pascal uh, no excuse me felipe thinks like whatever i bet he's gonna call if he has a queen and maybe he's gonna call if he has a jack whatever i bet so why not bet small to fold out the weak stuff? Cause the stronger stuff is going to call anyway. It doesn't really matter how much I bet. Well, it turns out he had no chance because Pascal was going to believe his story enough and then be able to act on it. Well, you're saying he had no chance, but if he sizes it differently, he might have a chance. Yes. Like, I agree. If instead of betting 15 million on the river, he bets 60 million on the river, you know, or something he bets, he might. you know, more than half the pot or even around half the pot. That's a really different story. He's telling suddenly, right? He's, he's saying like, I can have two pair. He might have a chance, but at the same point, I don't like the play. I think this is what I was referring to when I said, I have thoughts on the river and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. I think this might be a spot for, for giving up due to the range disadvantage Felipe has. I think like he's trying to engineer a way to make it make sense for him to be able to win this hand. Maybe it's okay to just not, not win this one, you know, like let this one go yeah. because you're not telling a good story. You're not. You're telling a bad story for sure. And even at the top of our range, which I assume is Queen Jack. Yeah. Maybe it's Ace Five, but it's probably Queen Jack. The top of our range, I don't like, we're still not loving this spot with the top of our range. 
Like, right. I you, guess we have to call because it's the top of our range, yeah. but like, we're not beating any value anyway, right? We're still losing it. I think maybe queen eight, we're beating queen yeah. eight. Exactly. That's it. Like, it's not good. No. And we like, I'd be worried that like, I may talk myself into folding way too much of my, of my strong stuff here anyway, you know, which would be a real problem. Yeah. I think once we chose to check call the flop and got this run out, we kind of just should be okay with giving up. I think it's okay. We lost two and a half blinds in the hand. It's fine. Move on. Yeah. So I think like, just like, as we look, I agree with you. The queen is such a bad card yeah. for us to make a play on, especially a, a bait, a tiny play. I don't like a, I don't like any of the plays, but I do think a bigger bet is better at least than, than the tiny, tiny it bet. Gives I us think. A fighting, it gives us more of a fighting chance. Exactly. Um, but this goes back this, like we could trace this all the way back to the flop though, where we decided to play a hand that has potential doesn't get there very often. And when we get there, we may not get paid. Like we played it passively. And I think we just can't do that unless we have a really good reason to. And while the board was bad for us, there are enough other good reasons that I think we just have to raise that. I think like, I know we already said, we think we we like a raise anyway. As I look at how this hand plays out ultimately and like the trouble we end up putting ourselves in, it's like so hard to play the turn and it went check, check, but it's so hard to play the turn anyway. We're like, I guess we're going to check raise all in and hope it works out, even though we have no fold equity. Yeah. Uh, it's not great. Um, and the river now, it's, it's hard to bluff successfully unless the guy has absolutely nothing. So once in a while, we'll get that through. Cool. Just feels like there's so many better outcomes if we just raise pre. I'm sorry, excuse me, raise on the flop. Just so many better outcomes where we, when we win, when we make a flush, we get all the chips instead of just a few of them. And when, we, when the guy just folds, we get to win the pot right now instead of maybe never winning the pot. Where like, you're basically advocating for giving up, you know? And like, I'm not saying you're wrong, but like on turn in river, it's like check and check. And like, that sucks. Yep. Sometimes poker sucks to play. But for Felipe, this day was not a day that sucked because he ended nope. up winning the thing for 1.5 million. I know. How about that? After all that, he won. He came all the way back. He was chopped down to the short stack and won anyway. Meanwhile, uh, Pascal ends up finishing fourth. So he only outlasts one guy. Not Mark McDonald, by the way, finishes third. Pascal ends up making 800K, but Felipe Oliveira makes $1.5 million. Pascal going by far the biggest. Pascal going from the like nearly 100 blind stack he has after this hand to finishing fourth does indicate that maybe he is opening all the buttons, you know, all of the hands. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. Also, there might be something that happens where I imagine Mark McDonald was already going for it, but when he becomes, uh, oh no, actually, never mind, because he ends up he's second in chips, but he's still short. He's probably just like, I'm just gonna own everyone. I don't care. I'm Mark McDonald. <laughs> Mark McDonald. I'm away. But anyway, this was by far the biggest score for both of these guys. Um, neither of them have they. Neither of them have two million overall in earnings. Like Felipe Oliver has one point eight million. And he's played a bunch of things. Um, he has one other six figure score. It was in the Poker Stars Player Championship. Um, but like this was his moment, and maybe there'll be more. But up till now, this is the moment of his life, of his poker life, at least. Maybe the the birth of his child was more exciting for him. But maybe. this is pretty great. Well, this this hand wasn't his moment, but this tournament was. Maybe maybe this hand was the thing that he looks back on with the most fondness. You know, maybe. Music is my sunlight and all I need is one mic And I can show every single MC how it's done right Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not We got one life And I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne And gonna be traveling the globe We still have time to make